We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Sunshine, I'm Alexi Awesome. Welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where I look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. Joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Uh, thank you, as always, to State Farm for presenting this. How you doing, Mossy? Uh, we come to you at the end of the England-Australia game. And then there were two. And then there were two. Um... Look, uh, dark days indeed, my friend. England has made it to a World Cup final. They are potentially 90 minutes away from winning a World Cup and having it for reals come home. And me realizing just, you know, the, the biggest nightmare I could possibly imagine. Having said all of that, it is deserved. They were the better team today against Australia from start to finish. I thought that they were stronger, literally stronger, in that I thought that they bullied Australia. Uh, I thought that they were smarter in the way that they played this Australia team and in the way that they took their chances. I thought that they were obviously ruthless in the way that they finished the chances and the gifts that were given to them. On the plus side... The 99ers can pop the champagne 72 Dolphins style. They remain the only host nation, host team ever to win the Women's World Cup. Oh, wow. They're probably sitting back uh, thinking about that. Now, from a big picture standpoint, uh, as we've said before, this is going to be fun because come Sunday night, we will have a brand new champion of the, of the world. It's good not just for the World Cup. It is good for, I think, the women's game. And... Two worthy, worthy opponents, and as I said, two worthy uh, teams in this final. But it does set up a really, really interesting game. Before we get to that, um, a little bit more on this England-Australia uh, game. Big news coming out before in terms of the lineups. Sam Kerr did start, so Ari Hanks got her way. Carly Lloyd had said she wanted, uh, wanted Sam Kerr to come off of the bench. Now, they both were kind of right in that 
Yes, Sam Kerr had that magical moment, and it was wonderful in terms of the goal that, that she scored. And in that moment, you think, oh, here, here comes Australia. But, she, you know, she was active uh, and much more active than we have seen in the times that we have limited, uh, limited see, uh, seen her in this tournament. But ultimately, it was just not enough from a team, uh, team collective type of uh, performance for this Australia team. You know, managers throughout this World Cup have been confronted with that dilemma of do you insert a star back into the lineup, even though the team played well without her. Uh, we saw Spain uh, backfire with Puteas in the other semifinal. Uh, early in the tournament, Norway had that dilemma with Ada Hegeberg. Um, and it was interesting that Gustafsson went with Kerr from the start. And to your point, in the first half, I thought Australia was overwhelmed by the occasion. They got bullied by England, and Sam Kerr wasn't all that effective. And so you were thinking that it might have been a mistake. But then in the second half, Australia came out a different team, and Sam Kerr was super active, scored a great goal, which did take a slight deflection. We were debating it's, how much yeah, that detracted from the goal. That's right. But nevertheless, um, by the end of the game, you didn't feel like it was such a mistake to start her. But at one point, it, it did seem like maybe that it, decision had... It seemed like the tide was turning, and then they shot themselves in the foot. They, I mean Australia. Uh, we should say, uh, you know, the first goal from, from England, it was one of those classic moments, and it's a throw-in, and it's a set piece, and uh, ultimately, the switching off that happens in players, oftentimes when it comes to a throw-in, the ball goes out of bound, you think, okay, I got a moment to rest. Well, you don't have a moment to rest. And then they compounded things in the, uh, in the back there by, by, not, you know, by not defending and ultimately leaving people wide. And when uh, Ella Toon got that opportunity, that was incredible. Nobody's saving that, that, uh, that shot or that, uh, that goal. But how it got to there has to be maddening in terms of coming off of a, uh, a throw-in. So that damage, that damage is done. Then, as you said, Sam Kerr ultimately provides a moment of magic with a shot from long distance that goes in. We all think everything's changing. And then Australia, rather than kind of kick on, turn around and yet again shoot themselves uh, in, the, uh, in the foot. So uh, minutes later, Hemp pounces on this, what has to be just described as a, a gift. Uh, because, you know, Bright hits this long ball. It's probing. It's not, it's, it's in the general direction. Uh, but then Carpenter, who would not have a good day over that, that right-hand side, kind of tries to shield it and doesn't do anything ultimately. And Arnold doesn't come off of her line to get the ball. And ultimately, uh, it just falls, like I said, as a gift. But this was not something necessarily that England created. They'll take it because they're ruthless. But it wasn't something... It wasn't something spectacular or magical that ultimately resulted in this goal. Yeah, Ellie Carpenter with a huge mistake. Lauren Hem pounces. If Ellie Car Carpenter was a man, I'd really come down on her. But as you know, because oh, she's yes. a woman, I'm going to take it easy. You pull your her. punches yes. when it comes to that. Okay, we've we've established that. But uh, I won't. And that was a huge, huge mistake. And that was abysmal defending from from Carpenter and Arner, for that matter, not coming off of her line to uh, to do that. So now it's two to one. Now again, you say, all right, what what happens now? A couple different uh, balls into the box for Sam Kerr, but nothing really materializing. And then as Australia starts to push forward, even with the substitutes, uh, with Vine coming on and, and others, didn't really change the complexion of the game. Although there was one opportunity that Sam Kerr had off of a corner kick, it dropped right to her and she skied it. I mean, there was a golden opportunity right in front of the, uh, the box that she will be ruining probably for a long time from now. Uh, ultimately, they get their third, as we mentioned, settled in, in 90 minutes, and, uh, and England go on. Beautiful, the third goal, the pass yes, by Chloe wonderful. Kelly, nice finish by Alicia Russo. Uh, so, yeah, no, no questions about that goal at all. <laughs>
All right, so we're going to take a couple days off and come back and do a show after the third place game. It'll be much more of a kind of prep show and a look ahead to the final going forward. Should, should, are you even thinking about the third place game? Uh, not really. Not really. Not really. Um, it's but a good one, Australia-Sweden. but um, It is. And we, we have this conversation anytime there's a tournament about the meaning or lack of meaning there is when it comes to a third-place game. And, yes, ultimately, if you win it, it means something. If you don't win it, it didn't mean, any, it didn't mean anything. And it is a, an incredible letdown and the mentality that you have to have to go into a third-place game and ultimately give it the attention that it deserves sometimes is lacking. Although you always say one of the great regrets yes. of your career was not having taken that third place game in the 95 Copa America seriously against Colombia. I do. And at the time we were being coached by Steve Sampson and, you know, we were making this incredible run through Copa America. And this was obviously back in the day. And I'll never forget that um, Bora Milutinovic, our previous coach, came up uh, and talked to me later about that tournament. He said, you guys... You guys let something go. You had an opportunity there to finish third. And for the United States team to finish third rather than fourth, it does matter. And he made a lot of sense. And, you know, it's, it's about mentality. And some teams have it. Some teams don't. We'll see what Australia. Australia playing, I think, in their home country. It's still going to be a big crowd. There's still going to be. I think it'll be much more of a celebration in totality of what they've done as opposed to the specific game. But look. In my expert opinion, third is better than fourth. And so if Australia, or in this case, uh, Sweden, can possibly finish third, I think that they will. I think it'll be an interesting game. Usually they're a little bit more wide open uh, than, the, uh, than the finals. But we will probably use that third place game to promote and prepare and preview what's coming on uh, Sunday in terms of the, uh, the final. What do I, uh, we're going to have Ari Hinkst, evidently, and uh, Stu Holden on that show uh, on, uh, on Saturday. And like I said, it will preview. But... As you start to look forward to this matchup, I think it's intriguing. Two very, very different teams. As I said, uh, two teams that are vying for their first uh, Women's World Cup. Uh, what, what first, what, what piques your interest in terms of this matchup? It's a great game. It's a rematch of a quarterfinal at the Euros in which Spain was the better team for much of the match, but England ended up advancing 2-1 in extra time. And so we'll see how this one goes. And it's interesting that uh, both these teams can point to missing players and say, boy, it's incredible that they're here, given the fact that they weren't able to really put their best foot forward at this tournament for different circumstances. Uh, I am absolutely enamored with the job that Serena Vigman has done to lose players like Beth Mead and Leah Williamson and Fran Kirby and then lose Lauren James to suspension, who had emerged as their breakout player at this tournament. Ella Toon steps in for her, and lo and behold, she scores. And you're seeing players who were super subs at the Euros, like Ella Toon and Alicia Russo, uh, emerge as starters at this tournament and do well. And now Serena Vigman has a decision to make regarding whether she puts Lauren James back in the lineup. And I sort of think whatever she decides will probably be the right move. Uh, she has 100% trust with me at this point. Uh, this is her second straight World Cup final, incidentally. She took the Netherlands right. to the final. It's a hell of a cycle for her, Lost by the, the way. US. Two finals yeah. and, uh, and, a, and a win in a final in uh, the Euros. So. Yes. Uh, well, and she won the Euros with the Netherlands in 2017. So, and yeah, went to... so a couple cycles. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, incredible job uh, by her. Um, and Do you think she's justified in not starting uh, Lauren uh, and, you know, in, in a sense, a Wally Pip type of situation here? Not, not injured, but obviously she got the red card and hasn't been 
uh, with the team? Or is this a, a Sam Kerr type of situation where it doesn't matter, we're, we are better with her on the field? No, given the way Toon played and the goal she scored, I think it would be defensible Ooh. if she held Lauren James. And that would give them a good option off the bench, That's which true. is something that this England team, other than Chloe Kelly, there's not a whole lot else there on the bench. So if you don't start Lauren James, that does give you a weapon to bring on in the second half if you need her. Uh, Sarah Vegman, uh, she's she's incredible, like you said, and she's been incredibly successful, and therefore she is going to be coveted going forward. Obviously, I think the U.S. Soccer Federation, if and when they make a change, uh, she would certainly be at the top of that list. And great backstory. She played yep. at North Carolina alongside Mia Hamm and others and cites Anson Dorrance as the major influence in her career, so there's very much a U.S. connection. Yeah, she, she knows it, and, and again, I think this plum job sitting out there of now that the U.S., you know, went out historically failed in this World Cup, the ability to kind of bring them back to uh, the top. I think that would be appealing to her or anybody else. But I think she's going to have a lot of suitors. I think she's going to have a lot of people that recognize her, uh, both in the men's and the women's game, uh, to, you know, to possibly have her come, uh, come lead. Uh, we discussed the Jorge Vilda situation yes. on the last pod. Um, I said then that 15 players mutinied, uh, only three came back, which meant that the 12 others chose not to come back. I read some articles on that today. This is unconfirmed, but there are reports that a handful of others wanted back in as well and just weren't selected. So it's a little fuzzy as to how many stuck to their guns and how many would have played at this World Cup had they been chosen. So the ones that weren't selected ultimately, because since some were selected, it's not as if they, you know, I, I don't think that they went and groveled. It was relative to their ability here. So if you weren't selected, it was not only had you gone against the Federation and the coach, but you also weren't good enough to have that be overlooked. Yeah, I mean, it, it, for those that mutinied and wanted back and didn't get picked, they essentially got Wally pipped while right. they were gone. Yes. Some other player emerged, yes. and the Federation felt like they were okay without him. And by the way, this is the ultimate Wally Pip of going to a World Cup final for, uh, for Spain right now. We, you know, we said last night that they're, they're definitely at home hate-watching uh, right now. But I will be... I think cheering for Spain right now in terms of uh, uh, in terms of this final. But again, th this is this is an England team that you know I can I can scream and yell all I want. But I guess what's irksome to me and the most irksome is that they are they are really good. And you mentioned them bullying uh, Australia today. It was from the first whistle, and it wasn't. I hate to. It's not. It's not dirty. It's not dirty. But it is, from a physical perspective, you know, stamping your authority and your presence from the very, very moment that you get on the field and not letting any tackle go by and really, you know, kind of getting, getting stuck in. And I know that's a classic type of way of looking at a style of play, and, and in particular, traditionally, when it comes to England. But they're much more than that. But I think they recognized that they needed to do that to kind of dampen the crowd and, and get, you know, I talked about the magic spell that, this Australia team was under, and they came in and they broke that spell the minute that whistle uh, whistle blew. So, uh, congratulations to them. All right, anything more on this uh, England Australia game, my friend? Uh, no, yeah, we, okay. we bid farewell to Australia. It's been a great story. Somber mood among some of the crew here. You could yeah. tell that th this whole nation was really gripped by this team, and uh, so it's a sad way for it to end. And, and you know, sometimes. It, it takes time to really understand the impact. And you know, there's, there, there's the initial impact that we're feeling and everybody going crazy and there will be the, you know, the tomorrow and the post-mortem and oh, this is the problem. But no matter what, 
this team will be remembered. This Matilda's team will be remembered. And, you know, we see, we see the scenes of young girls and young boys in the stands. They will tell you where they were when you know, Vine scored that penalty or when Sam, Sam Kerr scored that incredible goal uh, against England. And ultimately, it didn't come out where they are holding the trophy at the end of this incredible saga. But the impact that they have had and the influence that they had uh, is evident now, but I think it will become much more evident as time goes on. And we do have, uh, for the first time since 2003, an all-European final. It was Germany-Sweden back then. Now it's England-Spain. So, again, that theme I've been talking about all tournament, about Europe really stepping up, the growth in the women's game at club level, and whether that would translate on the World Cup stage, and it has. So that is a larger sort of theme here if you think about the U.S. and what they're going to have to contend with moving forward. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, should we move on? Yep. All right, so, uh, hey, by the way, uh, any of your uh, Brazilian uh, friends out there take issue with uh, your, your Neymar comments yesterday? Uh, no, but some Saudi Arabians did. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just gauging by some of the comments on social media, they weren't too happy. They with weren't that. happy that you completely poo-pooed and, and disregarded the uh, Saudi Arabian League? No, but it is Neymar mania. I was watching the pictures today of the stores and his jersey selling out everywhere, so they're very excited uh, to have him. Well, it's, you know, we'll never see him again, according to you, with the national team because he doesn't deserve to be Actually, with the national no. team. Uh, I, I, I said that if it was me, I wouldn't call him up, but the coach, Fernando Geniz, is a big fan of his, and speculation in Brazilian media is that he is going to continue to be mm. called up. Okay. Uh, let's move on to Messi. He just, <laughs> he just keeps scoring nine goals, I think we're at right now, in the uh, League's Cup uh, that continues to roll on. Yes, uh, Inter-Miami uh, brushed aside Philadelphia. Uh, they are in the League's Cup final. They will face Nashville, who beat Monterey, uh, so an all-MLS final. Uh, now, there's some debate about this. Great goal or goalkeeping mistake? Goalkeeping mistake. Oh. But, you know, it's it, it, by one of the great goalkeepers in, in MLS history, by the way. Yeah, and, Andre uh, Blake. Andre Blake there in Philadelphia. But, look, Messi is just... It, it writes itself. It's just incredible that he has transformed this team that he is playing with. Yes, in the context of a, of a intra intra MLS tournament, but still, you know, they whether it's home, whether it's on the road, not only do they win, but he continues to perform and he continues to score goals. And this is wonderful. I guess it bodes well for when this tournament is over. Speaking of this tournament, uh, Nashville also won at home. That place was packed, by the way, against Monterey. And I watched that from my hotel room here in, uh, in Sydney. And, you know, Hani Mukhtar is worth the price of admission. And he was all over the place. Wonderful, wonderful job down there. So it's going to be Nashville hosting Inter-Miami in the first iteration of the expanded League's Cup in 2023. You know, Messi and Danny Alves have had this battle over who's going to finish as the most decorated player in football history. I think they're tied right now in terms of trophies for club and country. And I did not think this story would be settled with Messi winning the League's Cup while Danny Alves is languishing in a Barcelona prison. But that, that's where we are right now as far as... Do you, do you think that in any way 
the dominance, um, it's not a resurrection, it's just the, the dominance of a great player in MLS and Messi scoring and scoring so much and so consistently right now is a, for lack of a better word, a problem for MLS? Well, that, that's been the running discussion since he got going. Um, yeah, I mean, you would like him to have a bad game here and there. <laughs> but, but, I, I, part of me gets that, and the, part of, the other part of me says, well, why? Why? I mean, it's messy. He's, he's doing what you pay him to do and what you want him to do and doing it in a completely different situation. I, I, you know, it goes back to Mossy, and I, I get it because I've been there, and I will raise my hand that at times I, I am guilty of this. We're, we're so sensitive, and we're so... Um, worried about what others think of our soccer and our league and our culture. And I don't give a crap anymore, all right? I just want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy Messi scoring goals and not have to ascribe, uh, you know, value or devalue as to the teams that he's playing against or the situation or the marking or all, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's sports. It's a, it's a league. Just sit, just sit back and enjoy it. And I know people can't. And I, there, part of me says, I get it, because we're so concerned about credibility and we're so concerned with how we look in other people's eyes, especially around the world, and even domestically in the way that we look at each other and ourselves. It, it, but it, it's, it's exhausting. Well, to bring it back to the Saudi Arabia thing, I continue to say Messi's decision to come to MLS and to turn down all that money, he was offered reportedly $500 million a year it's really looking like a goal line stand for people who are against the whole Saudi Arabia thing because imagine if he was there too with Ronaldo and Neymar going there now and Benzema. I mean, it would be <laughs> pretty it, remarkable. It would be something, but and maybe this is just a, a comment on how big of a brand he is. Do you think that what Messi has done so far uh, from a, I guess, from a, a, a cultural perspective has been more substantial and has resonated more and cut through globally than certainly what Cristiano has done, but what everybody is kind of doing right now in Saudi Arabia. I just get the feeling yes, that, yes. and I know we wear our MLS heart on our sleeve, or at least I do, but I feel like it resonates more. It's, it's been more apparent. I agree. You think? Um, I do, yeah. I think MLS got the biggest fish of them all, which is Messi, and they got him just a few months after he won the World Cup. And so what he's doing in MLS, I agree, is resonating globally more than what any of those players yeah, are doing in Saudi Arabia. I, I think it's uh, – the word I was looking for is relevant. I think MLS with Messi right now is more relevant than Saudi Arabia with Cristiano and all the other different players that are there. Now, over time that might, that might change, but I don't know what does Saudi Arabia do here – to make people tune in and care? Well, I have to say, I think they're on that path. I'm okay. going to end on a conciliatory note with Saudi Arabia because I know they're, they're mad at me. <laughs> well, but, they got to. But huh? no, no, no. Oh, what, what they've been able wow. to do in just a couple of windows, and they're going to keep at this, and I think a couple more windows like this, and we're going to look up, and there's going to be no around it. That's going to be sort of <laughs> the most star-studded league in the world, and then you're going to have to stand up and take note. I mean, you're now reading that Mo Salah is probably going to go there, if not this summer, probably next summer. Uh, I mean, so you stack up enough star player, people can say whatever they want, but it's going to be a league to follow. The same thing happened with Live Golf. The first guys that went, people said, boy, really, Saudi Arabia? But enough guys went that it became uh, 
must-see. So you do think that it's going to be uh, relevant and, yes. and, and credible Absolutely. in the eyes of the world right yes. now as, as it goes on? And simply because they have more money than anybody and they are splashing it around and they're just going to just Already just on Twitter I'm seeing people put together a best 11 of players that have gone to Saudi Arabia and some even building a squad. And it's incredible. I mean, <laughs> there's a team that has a front three of Riyad Mahrez, Roberto Firmino, and Alan St. Maximum. That's better than half the front threes in the Premier League right now. Yeah. I mean, I just, it's such a fascinating, I guess, project, if you will. Because, you know, yes, you have the players and yes, you have the money. But then how do you brand it? And how do you continue to, you know, force it around the world and get people ultimately not just to tune in, but, but to care? And to find it and to, you know, I guess, educate themselves on what it is. And as look, we're talking about it right now. So in a certain sense, it's already permeated places that they haven't been in the past. I guess that's a uh, that's a good thing. Uh, anything before we go? Uh, we got a couple of days off here. Are you going to do anything? I am going to Blue Mountains tomorrow. Very excited. Ooh, yes. Nice. Have you, uh, have you planned something, or is it just going to you know, fly by the seat of your pants here? Uh, well, I'm going with a couple of our colleagues. Um, no, I don't have anything specific planned once I get there. I'll just kind of get to lay the land and just kind of a fun, outdoorsy, relaxing day. Nice. I, I did climb the bridge this morning. Oh, you did? I did, yeah. For those that don't know, there is a, a famous Sydney bridge here, and uh, it's, it's a big bridge. And they actually have tours where you can go up and over the arc. So you're all the way at the top. Now, they take hours to be able to, uh, to do this, and they strap you in. Why am I telling you this? You tell the, you tell the story. Yeah, it was, it's a whole process. I mean, you, you go through this whole orientation where they give you a suit, and they strap you in a bunch of different places, and they show you exactly how you're supposed to climb the ladder and step And you're here not allowed to take a, a phone, right? Because they're worried no, no, about you, you throwing you, crap you, yeah, down on people. Exactly. Up. You put everything in a locker. And they do take pictures of you, you there, and that. then you can buy it afterwards, which I did. And pictures came out great, so I'm excited about it. Uh, I couldn't have asked for a better company. I went with the lovely Shannon Barrett. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, we had a great time. It was terrific. Uh, there, there's different lengths that you can go. There's like a two-hour and a four-hour or something. How long did, you, how long did it take, this, this uh, tour of yours? Three hours. We started at 9 a.m. and we're done at noon. You spent three hours on a bridge. Yes. It's very relaxing, though. I thought it was going to be a more strenuous. Right. You get up there pretty easily, and then it's just kind of hanging out and this beautiful view. You and you're just kind of taking it all in. Awesome. All right. Well, listen, we have, uh, you know, two more days, basically, of this uh, tournament. As I said, the third place game on Saturday and then the final on Sunday. We're going to take a couple of days off. We'll be back uh, with, uh, with shows on Saturday and obviously Sunday for the final. We have the final set, and I can't believe it, but, you know, my, my own personal nightmare is coming to bear. It's just, it's, I mean, I'm putting all of my faith and all of my chips in on Jorge Vilda and company over there with, uh, with Spain to make sure that this does not happen and that it does not come home uh, to England. Uh, on the bridge climb this morning, mm -hmm. there were three lovely young ladies from London who were going to the game today. I was chatting, sure very chatting them up. Yeah, I, I have no problem with the English folks. This isn't a Lexi problem. <laughs> I, I would have no issue with this is obviously the second World Cup final England has reached men's or women's. <laughs> the other one was 1966. And, uh, don't, you don't it, say, it, really? They it, won it in 1966? Yeah, it I might, hadn't heard. It yeah. might be coming home. Oh, God, please. Ugh. All right. All right, listen, uh, we're going to get out of here. As I said, uh, we will talk to you again in a, in a couple of days. Uh, thank you to State Farm, as always, for presenting this. And thank you, everybody out there, for reviewing and rating and subscribing and doing all the different things that you do out there when it comes to the State of the Union podcast. We will talk to you again in a few days. And until then, and as always, my friends, 
size the day. Please don't come home.